season and the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And uh, so Merry Christmas to you. Um, hey, you know, here we are back again doing this CTK online at home. So if you're joining us for the very first time, great to have you uh, with us. Glad that, glad that you're here and hope you'll stick around and watch with us this morning. We, uh, we've certainly had a full week adjusting to all of the different things with regards to government directives and instructions and all of these things. And I got to tell you, the leadership of the church has just agonized this week. In fact, your elders, the leaders of our church met three different times, just trying to discern what God was saying and how he was leading us. And uh, we just feel at this point in time, we're to stay online Sunday mornings. And so, uh, yeah, thanks for your patience with us, your prayer for us. And um, boy, we're just looking to be led of the Lord, and I'm really thankful. I feel like God really did lead us in a unique way to come to the conclusion that we did. And so uh, Sunday mornings will be uh, online for now. And uh, we got uh, prayer tonight, of course, at 7 o'clock, okay? So I'll just uh, remind you of that. And then all the other things that Blake and Jessica let us know about already. So hey, if you got your Bibles, we're going to go to Judges chapter 8. We're going to pick up the story of Gideon where we left off this great story of this man. We're going to look at kind of the epilogue, the closing chapter of his life. And so as we come to God's word, we're not, we're not looking at the Christmas story quite yet. We're going to put a pause on the book of Judges after this morning and look at Christmas the next couple weeks, the Christmas story. But today we'll be in Judges. So let's pray. Lord, just thank you. For your word today, God, we thank you that we could connect via this uh, format, Lord. I pray, God, just your blessing over the live stream, Lord. We pray your blessing over each one, God, that the peace of Jesus Christ, the joy of the Lord would rest on every home, God, I pray, and on every life. And Lord, as we uh, spend this time in your word this morning. We're thankful for the written word. We love the written word at CTK because it leads us to Jesus, the living word. And so Jesus, we want to come to your feet. We want to be taught of you. We want your spirit to speak to us. And so Jesus, we pray that in all things and in your word this morning that you would be glorified and honored and that you would strengthen and encourage the people of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it's Judges chapter 8. We're looking at this uh, great story of Gideon. Let me give you a quick reminder. Maybe you're just joining in with us. The story of Gideon is over four chapters in the book of Judges. And so we've been looking at it over four weeks. And really the climax of the whole story comes when Gideon defeats the enemies of God's people. This evil group of folks called the Midianites who were oppressing God's people, robbing them, stealing their food sources, driving them into hiding in the mountains and living a life of fear. And we watch this as God put his hand on Gideon. Gideon who was this fearful man, became, he was transformed as the Spirit of God came upon him, and he became a mighty warrior who led the people of God in victory over their enemy. Really, it was the Lord who led them to victory, because Gideon just had an army of 300 men against 135,000 Midianites. It's, it's biblical, 450 to 1, and boy, they, they set up on the hills as we've seen. They had their torch and... Uh, their jar and their trumpet and they smashed their clay pitcher. They blew the trumpet and pulled out their torches and screamed a sword for the Lord and for Gideon and the enemy turned on himself. 
and the Lord led them to a great victory. And so as we've come into this part of the story of Gideon, we've come to the part where we've been talking about life after victory for him. He's led the children of Israel to victory. God has set them free from their oppressor. And after victory, what we've seen is this from Judges chapter 8, that Gideon faced other battles. That the battle wasn't just a fight, but the battle was how he would respond after victory. Now you know this if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been serving the Lord, that often we're susceptible to times of attack. We're susceptible to the wiles of the devil who seeks to take out the people of God after we've experienced great victories in the Lord. And so Gideon, as we saw last week, after the success and victory, he was, he was vulnerable. He faced criticism. And he had to navigate his way through criticism. He faced those who refused to cooperate with him. And he had to navigate in his leadership through that. He faced the danger of his own popularity just puffing out his head and turning him into something that God hadn't called him to be. He faced the danger, and we saw here that he tripped up in this spot of of enriching himself in the midst of this great victory. Gideon Gideon took some of the spoils of the war, and out of that, uh, one of the the dangers that he faced that he stepped into, a trap that he stepped into, was that of idolatry. I'll remind you, remember, he, he made a priestly ephod so that he could consult the Lord instead of allowing... The, the people of Israel to go uh, to the temple of God, to the tabernacle, and have the priest consult the Lord. Gideon took on this role upon himself that he wasn't called to do, and he led the children of Israel into idol- idolatry. And so there were areas where he was successful in victory. There were areas where he tripped up. And we left off uh, with this danger of retirement that he was facing. See, Gideon, the people had asked him to become their king, and he rejected rejected the kingship of Israel. He said, no, no, I'm not to be your king. The Lord is your king. But after a life of victory and all of these temptations that he faced, he began to reflect a life that was like living like a monarch. Though he wasn't the king, he began to live like he was the king. And we're going to read here in the text that he took many wives and he had an expensive lifestyle that came with the position of authority and power that he had amongst God's people. He surrounded himself with the trappings of royal power. You know, it's kind of like retirement, man. He put his feet up and he put things into cruise control and their trouble brewed for him. And we're going to read here in a moment that Gideon had 70 sons. Can you imagine? I just wonder how many daughters he had if he had 70 sons. Seven zero. And many wives. And we're going to read here about one of his sons who was an illegitimate son. Not counted amongst the 70, but he was born of Gideon's uh, concubine. And this guy's going to be, his name's Abimelech. He's going to be prominent in our text today. So let's take a look here. We're going to take a quick peek at the end of chapter 8. And then we're going to tackle this massive chapter, Judges chapter 9. Okay, so it says this in verse 29. The death of Gideon. Jerob Baal, remember that's Gideon's nickname, it means fighter of Baal, the man who fights against Baal. Jerob Baal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. The name Abimelech means this, 
My father is king. Now check out verse 32. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in, good, in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Oprah of the Abizarites. So Gideon puts his feet up. We start to just see the slide of decay, spiritual decay in his life. And as soon as he is dead, the spiritual and moral state of the nation just began to regress. It began to de-evolve into the previous state that it was in before Gideon, and I would say even much worse, as we're going to see. Check out verse 33. It says this. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again, and they whored after the Baals, and they made Baal Bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all of their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. And so we come to the close of chapter 8, and I just think this, I'm like, as I think of Gideon and his leadership, we would say, you know, one of the true tests of leadership is what happens when a leader moves on. Well, then Gideon would be a failure. That's what we would call him. There's something about the heart of the nation that had not changed under his leadership. In fact, I think we could say there's something about the heart of Gideon that had not changed. Even though God had used him so mightily, he had been clothed with the Spirit of God at certain times to lead the people of God. At the, at the end of his life, we see a, a man whose heart has not changed, and in retirement, he lets down his guard. And as he lets down his guard and opens up his life to different things, it quickly spreads and manifests in the nation. And we come to chapter 9, and this is the epilogue of Gideon's life. And the key character to this epilogue is his son, Abimelech, the son of his concubine, this illegitimate child. And, you know, as we think about chapter 9, and as we just start to introduce it, this whole chapter, it's 57 verses, and it's committed to a man, 57 verses is committed to a man who's not a judge in Israel. This is the book of Judges. This is about men and women who God used to be deliverers amongst God's people to set them free from their enemies. But this whole chapter is about a man who is not a judge. In fact, what we're going to find out about about Abimelech is that he is a man of blood. This is a story of a man of blood. And i got to tell you, just a heads up, this is a grisly story. This is one of those stories that in the Bible, people often attack the Word of God. They say, why is that there? Why is this inserted into into Judges, this grisly story of, of, of mass murderer and a man who is evil? What is it all about? Well, I think it's important we talk about this as we just dive into this chapter. Why is it inserted into the book of Judges? Well, I would tell you this. Judges chapter 9, at this point, gives us a picture. It's a, it's a microcosm. It's an it's a insight into what is happening in the entire nation of Israel. See, amongst those who were called to live as God's people, evil was rampant. There was idolatry. God's chosen people had become 
like the Canaanites around them. And there's irony in this because Gideon's nickname was Jerubbaal. That means, again, Baal fighter. The one who strives against Baal, who fights against him. But Abimelech was not going to live up to his father's name or his father's reputation. In fact, instead of fighting against Baal, he was going to fight for Baal. Gideon had refused attempts of the people to make him king. And on the other hand, this son of the concubine, Abimelech, is going to assert himself into this role. And this is, to me, just a a foreshadow of a future generation that would say to the Lord, we reject you as king and we want a human king for ourselves. Like they said to Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel. Give us a human king. And so in this story, we are warned that these are the outcomes that begin to happen amongst people, individuals, amongst communities, amongst nations that reject the Lord as their king. To me, it's like, whoa, that's a, I think about our nation, our community, our province, the things that are happening in the world. What is at the root of it? I would tell you what's at the root of it. The Lord has been rejected as king. And he's speaking in the midst of the things that are going on. And the question is, will we respond to him in the midst of everything that is going on in the world? You know, Gideon refused the title king because he knew that the Lord is to be king. The Lord alone is to be king. But just like any great story, who is it that seeks to be the usurper of the throne? It's his illegitimate son, Abimelech, yeah. Abimelech was the illegitimate son with no right to the throne as ruler over God's people. Now, it's Christmas. We're celebrating Jesus and his coming. And if we think about Abimelech being the illegitimate son without a right to the throne, well, I'll tell you, there is a son who has a right to the throne. The father said he's my only begotten son. The only begotten Son of God, the rightful heir, King Jesus. And to Jesus belongs all the things that are the Father's. And so, you know, Judges chapter 9, this whole episode with Gideon's son, it's going to go down at this city called Shechem. And Shechem is a very significant place in the history of God's people, in the history of Israel, in the history of Abraham's descendants. Shechem was the place where Abraham was living when God met him and came to him and promised him the land of Canaan as his inheritance. Shechem is the place where Jacob, after he had fled from his father-in-law Laban with his wives Rachel and Leah and all of their children, they settled in the land of Shechem. Shechem is the place When Israel, after 400 years of slavery and 40 years of wandering in the desert, wandering in the wilderness, when Joshua led them into the land of promise, he led them to Shechem where they committed themselves to be the covenant people of God. It was at Shechem where the tribes of Israel We're on Mount Ebal on one side and Mount Gerizim on the other. And Joshua pronounced to them the blessings and the curses of God and the covenant. And this is the place with Joshua at the helm 
the people declared, we will serve the Lord for he is our God. We will be the covenant people of God. Just a few kilometers from this spot was Shiloh, where the tabernacle lay, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Shechem is the geographic center of Israel, and it should have had the same spiritual significance. So the the book of Judges is doing this for us. It's zooming out. It's giving us a big picture, and it's saying, let's get a, a, a snapshot, a spiritual temperature check of what is happening in the history of God's people. This is the geographic center. It should be the spiritual center of God's people, but instead what we're gonna see is a tragic story. Tragic story unfolding. The children of Israel decided that they would worship the Baals. That they would worship at Shechem Baal Bereth. That means this. It means Baal of the covenant. God of the covenant. The people who were called to be in covenant with the living God made a covenant with Baal. They said, we will serve him. We will form a covenant with him. This is a tragic story. But here's what I want to tell you. You know, I like I think about this. I'm like, wow, this is not a Christmas story. Just heads up right now as we're about to read it. This is a story that is about God handing people over to sin and then paying the price for their sin. Like, here's the thing: if we want to understand Revelation, or sorry, Judges chapter nine. I don't know why I said Revelation. Uh, the key to it is this: is under, the key to unlocking this chapter is divine retribution. That's what I would say. No one really likes to talk about this, that God judges sin, that God judges wickedness, that God deals with evil on the face of the earth. We don't like to talk about that. We want to talk about the love of God, you know. We want to you know, talk about his love and his grace and his understanding, but I want to tell you this, the love of God demands, the love of God demands that he deals with sin. The love of God demands that the Lord deals with rebellion and transgression and the idolatry of his creation. He has to deal with it because he loves his creation. And truly, we know this, that the word of God proclaims to us that the wages of sin is death. Inherent in the nature of sin is punishment. There's nothing free about sin. That's what I would just tell you. You know, you say, well, we just want to live free to do whatever we want. That's what our culture tells us. I'll tell you, there's nothing free about sin. There is nothing free about living a a life of rebellion against the Lord. Wickedness has a payment attached to it. And the love of God is so great. The holiness of God is so great. The Lord is so set apart from sin that he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. So when we look at how to understand this chapter, this is the key that unlocks it. This is the key right here. The Lord repays wickedness and evil. His love is too great to allow sin to go unchecked. His love is demonstrated by allowing the consequences of sin to begin to play themselves out in the lives of his people. You know, I just think about like these days, I don't even want to say it, man, COVID, pandemic, I'm so 
(laughs) So sick of it all. Don't want to talk about it. But I would say this. When I look around the world, I don't think it's unlike what we read about in the book of Judges. We live among a generation in a world that's obsessed with itself. (laughs) That's obsessed with the gratification of fleshly desires. And we have to know this. Rebellion against the Lord will not go unchecked. Our culture, in a a general sense, denies the God of the Bible. Refuses to live according to the standards of His Word and His law. Rebels against His law. Even goes so far as uh, to go against the most obvious thing that any man or woman should ever know. And that has to do with His existence. Denying that the Lord even exists. That's foolish. That is utter foolishness. The scripture says only a fool thinks so. To think that God does not exist. Our culture goes so far to not only deny his existence, but to deny his salvation through his son Jesus. And what we're going to see in this text is this, that the Lord holds his creation responsible. That sin has a price attached to it. Divine retribution is a real thing. (laughs) When we talk about hell, we don't like to do that very often. It's a place of eternal separation from his presence. It's exactly what the generation of Judges chapter 9 was asking for. Separation from what? We don't want anything to do with you, Lord. He said, okay, then that's what I'll give you. But I want to tell you this this morning. God has made a way of salvation. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is his salvation. Jesus is his salvation plan. In Jesus there is forgiveness and there is hope. In Jesus there is mercy and grace. In Jesus there is redemption and salvation. In Jesus there is life, abundant and eternal There is nothing like the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. It's the best. But you have to come to Jesus. You have to come to the Lord's plan for salvation through His Son. And this chapter is about those who go headlong in the other direction, away from the Lord. And it's tragic. We don't want this text, Judges chapter 9, to be the story of our lives. That's why we turn from sin. We turn away from sin. We repent of sin and we turn in faith to Christ Jesus. To Jesus rather than sin. Now let's read this. We're going to read it in big chunks here today. Okay, so let's dive in. Uh, Verse 1, it says this. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you? Or that one rule over you. Remember also, I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these things on on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. Verse 4. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Orpah 
and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Wow, this is just insane. Here's this man, he's ruthless. He's power hungry. He, he played on the aspirations of a nation that was longing for a human king. He says this to them, you could, you could have my 70 brothers ruling over you, all the sons of Gideon, or you could just have me and I'm your flesh and bone, people of Shechem. And it tickled their ears. And they said, we want you, Abimelech, to rule over us. And the men of Shechem went to the temple of their God, the house of their God, Balbareth, and, and God of the covenant, the covenant that they had formed. These are people who were called to live in covenant with Yahweh. Yahweh, who is the covenant-keeping God. But the men of Shechem entered into a covenant relationship with Baal. I think it was probably a covenant of works rather than a covenant of grace. And they took from that house 70 shekels of silver and they gave it to Abimelech and he used the money to hire hitmen. That's what he did. Hitmen for his own family, for his own brothers like Judas. Remember Judas, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver well, Abimelech had one piece of silver for each of his 70 brothers. Didn't even count them valuable as the, the cost of a, a slave. It was a public announcement. He had rejected the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, to be on the side of Baal. And ruthlessly, he had his brothers killed in cold blood. I would say this, he, he like offered up a sacrifice to ensure his kingship. When we're introduced to Gideon, I think about Gideon. Remember, if we go all the way back to, Gideon, uh, to Judges chapter 6, Gideon offered, a, when he met the angel of the Lord, he offered a sacrifice on a stone and it was consumed with fire, a sacrifice before the angel of the Lord and fire from heaven burned up the sacrifice because our God is a consuming fire and the scripture tells us that Gideon worshiped the Lord. But Abimelech, he offers a sacrifice, his own brothers on a single stone with proceeds from the temple of Baal. This is a wicked man. We know from history that there's hardly anything that corrupts like a man who is after power. <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm fearful about the things that I see governments doing in this day in the names of safety, in the names of pandemic. It's a dangerous thing when governments and people and men pursue power and and when he's never sure if he's in control that that person in pursuit of power will do everything in their control to crush every opponent i mean let's look no further than the political examples these dictators that we've seen throughout history i think about romania Ceausescu, stalin mao pol pot cambodia and the list goes on and on and on what men will do in pursuit of power. I, I read of Stalin once that he got so crazed in his fear of losing control that he actually kept 20 bedrooms in his palace 
And every night he'd sleep in a different bed. So that should come one, someone come to take his life, they'd, they'd have to struggle to find him. And Bimelech does this wicked thing in pursuit of power. I mean, none of us are in these positions, but you know, no one is corrupt to the, the influence of power, maybe in our families, maybe in our workplace, maybe even in the church. This is a man who was doing everything he could to ensure his power. But we find out this, that one brother survived the rampage, the murderous rampage. Look at verse 7. When it, was told to, when it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 16. Jotham continues. Now therefore... If you have acted in good faith and in integrity when you made Abimelech king and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant King over the leaders of Shechem, because he is, your, he is your relative. And if you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, verse 20, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. All this goes down at Shechem. Between those mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. In fact, they say that still today, Mount Gerizim has this rock outcrop that is called Jotham's pulpit. The name Jotham means this. It means Yahweh is perfect. Yahweh is perfect. Like the one who was to come, Jesus the Messiah. Just like Jesus, Jotham's message begins with a parable. He tells a parable, the story of a bramble, a thorn bush that becomes king over the trees of the forest. In that culture, and I think we understand this even on the Sunshine Coast, man, there is as nothing as worthless as a thorn bush. 
Well, at least, I mean, I think of our prickles around here. At least we get blackberries out of them. You know, love our blackberries here. But there's nothing as worthless as a thorn bush, a bramble in the Middle East. Such bushes there don't produce fruit. They grow too low to the ground to produce any shade. The wood can't be used to construct anything. You can't take bramble bushes and build a house. It's going to come down. Brambles are only good for the fire, Jotham says. All it can do is burn. The olive tree, the, the fig tree, the vine, they all have great value. All great value, but not the bramble. Even to reach out and take hold of a bramble bush, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get injured. You're going to get prickles stuck in your skin. You're going to risk injury. And Jotham declares to the people of Shechem, fruitful trees would not do what Abimelech has done. And so Jotham says to them, if you've been fair in making him king, if you've done it in integrity, then may God bless you. May it all go well for you. May you be greatly blessed. But if you haven't, and we know they hadn't, we, it, they hadn't been integral, then he says, then I hope you get what you deserve. He says, I hope you get burned by him and I hope that he burns you. And again, this is the key to this whole story, understanding this, that, that sin inherently has punishment attached to it. That God is just. That this story might not be about a judge, but God is a judge. And God judges evil and wickedness and sin. There is such thing as divine retribution. It, it, unlocks, it unlocks the story. Now let's read on. We're going to read on a big section here again. Verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be on Abimelech their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops and they robbed all who passed by along that way, and it was told to Abimelech. And Gal, the son of Ebed, moved to Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put their confidence in him. And they went out into the field, and they gathered the grapes from their vineyards, and they trod on them, and they held a festival. And they went into the house of their God, and ate and drank, and reviled Abimelech. And Gaul, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam, and is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech, and I would say to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. Verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem. 
and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds you, finds to do. Verse 34, so Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and they set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gal the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, Oh, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Gal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now? You who said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you have despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem, and he fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Armua, and Zebul drove out Gal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. Verse 42, I told you we're going to bite off a big chunk here, okay? Verse 42, on the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people, and he divided them into three companies, and he set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate while two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it and he raised the city and he sowed it with salt. Verse 46. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the strong house the stronghold of the house of El-Bereth. That's the, that's the Tower of Baal. That's where they went. Abimelech was told that the leaders, that all the leaders of the, of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Salmon. He and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand, and he cut down a bundle of brushwood, and he took it up and laid it on his shoulder, and he said to the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech put it against the stronghold and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Now I read this and I think to myself, what a despot, man. Like what? What is going on amongst this man and these people? This is a reign of total terror. This is the people of God. <laughs> this isn't foreigners coming out and doing this to the children of Israel. This is the children of Israel, one against one, brother against brother. 
It's tragic right off the hop there I read this, that, that, that statement that God sent an evil spirit between Shechem and Abimelech, the people of Shechem and Abimelech. Jotham's curse was fulfilled. And this tidal wave just begins to build and build and build and it crests with the people of Shechem hiding in the, the, the tower of their idol, the tower of Baal, and Abimelech torches it. He turns the tower into a furnace for Baal. A thousand men and women die. I, I, I read this, I'm like, man, this is just tragedy everywhere. People being killed in the field, people being killed at the gate, people being chased from their homes. And this is a tragedy that is telling us how disastrous it is when people reject the Lord. These people thought that they could just throw off the rule of the Lord. And they failed to understand that idolatry and sin have a cost. If you're watching this morning, church, if you're watching with us for the first time, you need to know this, that sin has a cost. Rebellion against the Lord has a price. Punishment is inherent to the nature of sin. And true freedom, true freedom is not pursuing all of your fleshly desires and appetites. True freedom comes from living in the will of God. These were people out of the will of God. And it was disaster for them. And this is just one Community in the nation of Israel. That's all we're seeing here. One town, Shechem at the center. This is a spiritual temperature check for everything that's happening in the land of Israel. Look at verse 50. It says this, Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes to capture it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it. Uh-oh, repeat. And they shut themselves in and they went up to the roof of the tower and Abimelech came to the tower and he fought against it and he drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. I think they call that a splitting headache. That's what you would call that, safe to say. That's where that term comes from, a splitting headache. First, first man ever with a splitting headache, Abimelech. Okay, verse 54. Then he called quickly to a young man, his armor bearer, and he said to him, we're going to read through to the end of the chapter, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers, and God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Crazy story, isn't it? I mean, these are just one of these biblical stories that we read. And it's like, here's this man, he's crazed, he's bloodthirsty. After attacking Shechem and doing all the wicked things that he did there, he attacks the city of Thebes, and we're not even told why. Thebes is not even mentioned in this story prior to this. But he attacks another city. And with the residents of the city holed up in this tower, Abimelech gets too close, and a millstone 
is dropped on his head. And I read that and, and the text tells us that it was divine retribution, that it was God's judgment, that it was God returning evil to him. That God returned evil upon the residents of Shechem for the evil things that they had done. Sin inherently had punishment. And God returned to Abimelech evil for the evil things that he had done. Sin inherently has punishment. Think about Abimelech. He slay his brothers on a single stone and it was a stone that was his hand dropped on his head. It's like uh, poetic justice, isn't it? It's like the Bible. The Bible's the originator of poetic justice, by the way. <laughs> Killed his bros on a stone, and his head is crushed by a stone. This is a theme that actually goes clear through the Scripture. He killed his brothers on a stone, and a stone was dropped on his head, and it crushed him. You know, the New Testament translates this story, this theme, this principle, and it applies it to Jesus. It says that Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is called the stone that the builders rejected. <laughs> that he's the cornerstone and he's the capstone. The cornerstone is the stone that's, that's used to set a foundation and make sure everything is square and level and true. The scripture says Jesus is the cornerstone. That if you want to set your life straight and true, then you have to build your life on the cornerstone of King Jesus. But the Bible also says that Jesus is the capstone. He's that final piece that fits in there. He's first and last, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Jesus is to be both the cornerstone of our lives and the capstone of our lives. But the Bible prophesied in the book of Psalms, and it comes true in the New Testament, that Jesus, the cornerstone, would be rejected. And as Jesus in his day 2,000 years ago was dealing with the leaders of Israel and calling them to the kingdom of God and calling them towards repentance of sin and faith in God and salvation, he gave this warning. He said this, if you will fall on me, if you will fall on this stone, you will be broken. You will break, but I'll heal you. But if you refuse to fall on me and be broken, then this will happen. I, the stone, will fall on you. You will fall on me or I will fall on you. And if I fall on you, it's not that you'll be broken. You will be crushed. And the point of Jesus was this, that it was better to be broken. Church, it's better those who are listening, it's better to be broken before Jesus than to be crushed by him. Broken by him, we can be healed. But crushed by him, that speaks of his judgment against the sin of mankind. You know, you look at this story from Judges chapter 9 and this situation as far as men are concerned, as far as Israel is concerned, as far as Shechem and Abimelech and all of these characters were concerned. This was a situation, in my mind I read it, it's just mass chaos. Everything's out of control. 
I mean, you read this story and everything on the physical level with the physical eye tells you it's out of control. (laughs) But what we find out is this, is that the Lord was actually in control. And when it was time to bring it to an end, the Lord did. The stone was dropped. Abimelech was crushed. We look around the world and it seems to me that we're living in the midst of a time where things are just out of control. We don't know what's up. We don't know what's down. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Things seem out of control. But let me remind you this morning this, that with God, nothing is ever out of His control. The Lord is always, always in control. God was so in control in this situation that the text even tells us that he sent an evil spirit amongst or between Abimelech and the people of Shechem. It's not that God is evil. God is not evil. God is good. But God allowed it to happen. It was inherent in their rejection of him. The punishment was just built right in. They pursued demons, idols, and what happened? An evil spirit came between them. See, God uses situations that we would consider adverse and he takes them and he's always seeking to teach and to draw us to himself. Over and over again, he's communicating, I'm in control, I'm in control. Church, Jesus is in control. If you're watching with us this morning and you don't normally watch, I want to tell you this. In the midst of everything that is going on in the world, God is in control. Jesus sits on a throne. And the greatest proof of God's control is this, the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is the greatest demonstration God ever gave to show that he is completely in control. See, at the cross, at the cross is where we see all of God's justice All of his wrath, all of his retribution in all of its intensity, all of his judgment against mankind set on one man, Jesus. You know, if the key to unlocking Judges chapter 9 is divine retribution, then let me tell you this, the key to unlocking life Listen to me, very important. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, hear this one thing. The key to unlocking life when it comes to God and divine retribution against sin is to know this. There is one who has borne your sin. There is one who has taken the wrath of God in your place. There is one who has borne the punishment for your sin, and his name is Jesus. And he's who we celebrate this Christmas season. And this text, I think Judges chapter 9, it ends with tragedy. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, my life would end in tragedy. Tragedy would be the story of my life. Tragedy would be the story of your life, if not for Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that God loves you so much that in his justice, in his judgment, 
in his retribution against the sin of mankind, he did this. He punished his son. Man. He punished his son, Jesus, who died in your place for your sin. Jesus didn't know sin. Jesus didn't know rebellion and idol worship. Jesus obeyed the will of his father. Even in clothing himself in flesh, the son of God becoming a son of man that he might save us from our sins. And in his great love for you, in his great love for you, God has made a way for you to have forgiveness for your sin, to experience the mercy and grace of God and salvation in Jesus. But I have to tell you this, if this is a story about kingship, Jesus has to be your king. He's got to be the Lord of your life. And if you will believe on Jesus that he paid the price for your sin, then you can be made whole and forgiven and you can find true freedom in Jesus Christ. It's Christmas. Sure, you want all sorts of stuff, but I just want to tell you this. All that you want and all that you truly need is found in the person of Jesus. And you can fall on him and be broken. Or a day will come when he will fall on you and you will be crushed. And so I implore you, turn to his great love for you and find salvation. Would you pray with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Lord Jesus, you are the stone that the builders are rejected. You said that we fall on you and be broken, or you would fall on us and we would be crushed. And so Jesus, as an act of our will this morning, we choose to fall on you rather than to have you fall on us. We say to you, Jesus, thank you Thank you that you have borne the punishment for our sin. Jesus, we confess that you are Lord and that you are King. Jesus, we ask that you would forgive us our sins. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, save us that we might know the life that you give and the forgiveness that's in you and the love of your Father. Jesus, we give you our lives this morning. Would you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.